Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. So grateful for all that God has done in our midst. So grateful uh, just to be able to gather this morning and to worship. Uh, our great God together. So thankful for the freedoms that we have uh, in this country that we might be able to gather and pray without uh, fear of persecution this morning, that we might be able to gather and lift high uh, the name of Jesus together. Uh, Let's pray and and talk to God as we uh, start this morning. Father, we're grateful, Lord, for everything that you have done. God, we thank you for the cross of Calvary. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. And Lord, I pray today uh, God, that you would help us not take for granted, Lord, the freedoms that we have, uh, Lord, to, to lift high our voices to you, God, that we might, uh, Lord, hear your word this morning, God, and we might be encouraged uh, to greater devotion to you, Lord, that we might uh, see, Lord, our desperate need of your hand to move in our midst, and God, that we might leave dependent on you, Lord, and that might be displayed in the way that we live our lives. Lord, if there's any here that don't know you, God, we pray, Lord, that this morning, Lord, that you would draw them in the power of your spirit and that today would be the day of salvation. God, we love you. We thank you. And we ask for your blessing on our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, we are uh, in the midst of a series uh, called Prepare the Way. And we've been looking and talking about what it looks like to see uh, revival in the midst of our land. We've been talking about what it looks like uh, to prepare the way for a move of God. And I'm reminded that we cannot uh, manufacture a move of God, but that we are desperate uh, to see him move and that we can do some things uh, to be ready if he so chooses uh, to move. Last week, we looked at what it looked like to stand uh, in our convictions in a world where the crowd seems to be choosing for the other team. And we recognize that in many ways, uh, to stand for our faith, we can feel like the minority. And all of us would agree that uh, in the midst of this world, we need the Lord's help. Uh, We need to call on him in prayer. We call on him when we need his help. Maybe you've prayed a prayer uh, like the one this old boy did. His prayer was this, dear God. He said, I thank you. And I'm, I think you'd be proud of me. He said, so far, so far today, he said, I've done pretty good. I hadn't lost my temper. I hadn't cussed. I hadn't gossiped. hadn't lied. hadn't been greedy, grumpy, angry. None of those things. He said, I hadn't even ate too much. But he said, I'm just about to get out of bed. And he said, I'm pretty sure I'm going to need... Uh, your help from this point forward, right? So, so that's where we're at th- this morning with, when th- with desperate need of the Lord's help. And I want to encourage you today from Daniel chapter 6. We've been walking through just kind of this grand narrative of Scripture uh, last week in Daniel 3, this week in Daniel 6. And we're continuing uh, to uh, just look at this great storyline of Scripture, at the promises of God as they are being fulfilled, as the, the truths of God are being demonstrated through His Word. And I want to encourage you today Uh, to live with your windows 
open. That's the title of our sermon today. We're going we're gonna to lean into that for a bit. Now, Daniel, we're going to find out today, had been living with his windows open. Uh, Daniel had been praying with his windows open, and Daniel had been standing with his windows open. Now, those of you that uh, have been following along in uh, the, the story, right, we know that Daniel was an Israelite captive that had been taken into exile. He had been taken into captivity uh, as a young teenager, maybe the age of some of these young people that we were blessed to pray for this morning. He was taken in to captivity. He was removed from his home. And what we see in his life is that he was not ashamed of his God, that, that he was living in a land that was far from home. He was living in Babylon, but his heart uh, was set on home. He was away from his homeland. And you can imagine in those moments, the pressure to conform would have been great. But Daniel and last week we saw those three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, right? They were able to stand. And the question is, how in the world can we stand in the midst of this broken world that we live in? How can we live our lives in a way that reflects God's glory in a land that's far from home? And I'll make a statement that will kind of carry with us this morning that the strength to stand is found on our knees. So as we lean in this morning, the strength to stand is found on our knees. Now, in Daniel chapter 6, we might remember uh, just this passage, even if we have not been great students of the Bible for a long time. I, I can remember when I shared last week that when I met the, uh, my, my, my wife's family for the first time, and they had a dog named Shadrach, that I was like, hey, where'd you get that name? That's awesome. And they're like, you probably haven't read that story, have you, right? And so, but even I knew that anything about Daniel and the lion's den, right? That's been in like every kid's book, right? It's, it's a really popular story. And a lot of times we see the picture of Daniel in the lion's den and we see him and we think of him like one of these teenagers, right? We think of him that he's this little, little sweet Daniel and he's in the lion's den. And, and, and here, here's what we don't understand, right? This has been some time, right? Daniel is in his eighties at this time. And Daniel is, is a, a guy that we see just this incredible uh, work in his retirement years, right? He has made uh, just a great impact in the lives of different Kings in Babylon. And and Daniel probably remembered, right, in Jeremiah 29, and many of us have a favorite verse from there. We might get there uh, in the midst, but, but in, in Jeremiah 29, there's in this, this uh, understanding that, right, you're going to be going into exile, right? The, the prophecies are coming. Judgment is coming. Israel has disobeyed. But he says, listen, when you go, he said, you're going to seek the welfare of the city. He said, you're going to make a difference where you're planted, and you're going to live as a citizen, really, of the kingdom of God. You're, you're going to live for the good of that city, but your ultimate allegiance is to God above all. So this is where he's at, right? He's earned favor with all these different kings. And here in Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, the scripture says this, it seemed good uh, to Darius. Now, uh, I want to pause just a second. Now, Darius the Mede, uh, he's a new king, right? And he's taken over. And we're going to see in this passage that he sees something unique in Daniel, something different uh, in him. And so it says it seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. So he wants to put the best people in place. He wants those people that he can trust that are going to make a difference uh, along the way that he might not suffer loss. And then we see that this Daniel, that's what verse 3 says, began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary 
spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over all of the kingdom. Now, now we ought to find some characteristics in the life of Jesus followers that wherever we work and wherever we're planted and wherever we're in classrooms, that there ought to be something different about us from the rest of the world. And the king noticed, he said, there's this extraordinary spirit about Daniel. There's something about him. Now, if you go through the book of Daniel, Daniel's never taking credit for himself. When he interprets a dream, he says, my God uh, can interpret dreams. Right, And he's bringing glory to God uh, throughout. And what we see in the book of Daniel is that God has been working through him. We like to say around here that the life of a Jesus follower is not us living for Jesus, but Jesus living his life in and through us. And so when we are in our workplaces and we're in uh, the communities that God has planted us, we should live our lives in a way that that the, the life of Christ is demonstrated. And so we should see the hardest working people, right? We should see people that are are working not for themselves, right? But for the glory of God. So he's excelled so much, right? Darius decides to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. And this sounds like good news. Like if I'm Daniel, I'm thinking this is this is another good moment for me. Like, this is awesome, right? Like, I'm in charge. Like, this is, I, I've been put in another good place. Now, that seemed good to him, but maybe not everybody else, right? I remember the first time uh, when I was working a, a secular job, all of a sudden I went from being just one of the guys to being over the guys. And then all of a sudden, what was really exciting to me, I also found out that maybe it didn't please everybody else as much as it did me because other people are looking and they're jealous a little bit. And they're like, I'm smarter. I've been here longer. I should have done it right. We've experienced those kind of moments. So these guys... They're not, they're not as excited about it. So let's see what happens. In verse 4, Scripture says, Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. Inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. So what the Scripture says is, hey, they want to dig something up on this guy. Like, he, he's, he's been elevated to this kind of place, and they want to find something to to point out about him. They want to find something that, that they can, uh, can, can derail him in the midst of that, but they can't find anything there. The, the, this is the, the reality, right? He was living with his windows open, and with his windows open, Daniel lived a godly life, right? There's nothing that they could find. The public, the world could see, hey, this is the way that he's living. And so in verse 5, the men said, hey, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel. They said, listen, there's only one way we're going to be able to get him, and that's if we can find something against him with regard to the law of his God. They said, listen, this is the only way we can derail him. This is the only way we can get him, because what we know about Daniel And I want you to think about the people that know you, right? The people that are are in your circle of influence, the people that you work with, the people that you are around. They said, this one thing we know about Daniel, he is not willing to compromise his faith. Now, it would sound like, you know, and and we like to think that if we just live for the Lord, that we're never going to experience any trouble. Uh, we, we've maybe heard that somewhere. We've, we've, we've heard these kind of thoughts that says, hey, if we're just doing the right thing, then nothing ever is going to be difficult. But what I want you to see is that we will face persecution just for trying to live a godly life. Second Timothy chapter 3, Scripture says this in verse 12. It says, indeed, and I want you to notice the wording here. It doesn't say some who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus. It says all who desire 
to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Verse 11 says in Matthew chapter 5, our students have been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And, and in that passage, it says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you for, uh, and, and falsely say kinds of evil against you because of me. Notice he says, blessed are you when you're persecuted because of Christ, not because of your attitude, not because you're a jerk, not because you're rude all the time, not, not any of that stuff, but because you're living for Jesus. He says, blessed are you when you are persecuted. And so when we're living for Christ, what I want you to see is, is that there's going to be an impact on those that are around us. Now, many of you were on the trip uh, in Honduras with me, and a couple things we found out pretty quickly there is that it was super hot there. And so when it's super hot, there's a couple things that happen. Uh, you smell, right? And so uh, the other thing is that, that you uh, also have to deal with some little critters there that love, uh, at least they love my wife. They don't love me as much, but these little mosquitoes will absolutely eat you up, right? And so what we figured out is that there was a couple things I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to make Make sure I put on plenty of deodorant and you just kind of spray it everywhere, right? You've got like extra uh, amounts of that because here's the deal. My wife is with me and I want to attract her. I want her to be around me. So I want to put on extra amounts of deodorant. But the other thing, I don't want to attract mosquitoes. So you also put on extra amounts of mosquito repellent, like deep number 90, right? And so they offset each other and you smell terrible anyway, right? It's just kind of how that works. But here's what happens when you're living for Jesus. There are people that are going to be attracted uh, to uh, uh, being around you and attracted to the things that you're doing. They're going to be attracted because in the life of a Jesus follower, there should be something that is displayed in every one of us. If we profess to follow Jesus Christ, there should be an extraordinary love that is displayed in us for all people, right? That we are engaging and that we're loving and that, that we are walking in the midst of this broken world, that we're speaking truth, but we're doing that in love. And there's this extraordinary love and, and it will be attractive to some people. But then there's also going to be this, this unusual pursuit of the holiness of God. And, and when a person is trying to, to live in a way that honors God and this pursuit of holiness, there's going to be a repelling that takes place, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you are salt and light. He said, as salt, you're to permeate and you're to influence. And so here's Daniel living, right? He's, he's seeking the welfare of the city that he's in. He's living as an exile in Babylon, just as Jeremiah 29 had told him. And in the midst of that, he's making a difference. He's, he's uh, seasoned. It's making a a good uh, penetration into this world. We see salt preserves. We see all these things that are happening good because of where Daniel's at, right? And, and when we uh, see our lives as Jesus followers, there ought to be some similarities to that, right? The, the sports teams that you are on, they should be better because you are there, right? The places that you work, they should be better because you are there. But the reality is that not only are we salt, but that we're light. And what we see about light is it reveals, right? And there's something that happens uh, when light is around and it, it exposes darkness and people don't like that right so there's a an attraction and there's also a repelling verse 6 it says then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement so they come up with this plan and they come to the king and they speak to him as follows check this out it says and watch how they talk king darius live forever they're like hey we've had these other kings but darius we want you we want you to be the king forever because you're the handsomest king that there's ever been. And it looks like you've been on a keto diet. Are you look at you. You are King Darius. What have you been doing? And there's, I mean, they're, they're trying all they can. And they're getting in good with King Darius. And they say, oh, king, live forever. And then they say something else that we hear sometimes. Has anybody ever heard everybody 
wants this or that. Everybody's talking about this or that. Here's what they come to him. And they said, listen, king, all the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the high officials and governors, they've consulted together. They said, listen, king, everybody, we've talked, all of us, like, like the three people they talked to, right? That's what that means, right? The, the, the three people they ate lunch with, but that's what they mean. Everybody's been talking and, and they all... We, we, we want, we've consulted together that you should establish this statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any God or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document. That is the injunction, right? So here they are, right? They get in this place. And now Daniel's left in a mess right here because here's Daniel, a man uh, who, and, and again, remember, this is not uh, Daniel as a 15-year-old that has just got into exile. Daniel, Daniel has been faithfully praying and worshiping his God the entire time that he's been here. Daniel has been standing on the Word. And, and sometimes we think, like we were in Sunday school this morning, we we're talking, and it's like, hey, you know what? Like if, if we miss our Bible reading for a few days or maybe we miss church for a little bit, it's like we struggle. Here, Daniel has been removed from the homeland. He, he has been there. And what we're going to see is, is that he's been there almost 70 years. Right? The, the, the time is nearing where things are going to be changing, right? And here he is, right? He's in a dilemma because Daniel has chosen to obey the word of God, right? Daniel has chosen to say, you know what? There's a greater authority in my life than anywhere else. If you're in 1 Kings 8, you see Solomon dedicating uh, the temple. And in that passage, you're going to find that as that passage goes on, uh, long about the 40-something verse in there, you're going to see them giving some, some instruction. And Solomon says, hey, if my people are taken into exile, whether it be close to us or whether it be far away. He says, if my people sin and, and get taken in there, and then he says, because everybody has this sin problem, right? Everyone sins. And if there's a place where there's rebellion among my people and they don't listen and they don't turn back and they're exiled, he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to repent and I want you to confess your need and your, your need for forgiveness and confess the sins of the people. And he says, I want you to look toward Jerusalem. He said, I want you to look toward that place, right? In Psalm 121, we read of those Jewish people pilgrims, right? And as they would travel to the feast days when they would get weak and they would get weary, the scripture says, I will lift mine eyes unto the hills, right? And they would look toward Solomon's temple. They would look toward Jerusalem and they would pray because the scripture says that's where they knew their help came from. So Daniel, following the instruction, right? He is in the midst of exile. And so daily he is looking toward home and he is praying and he is thanking God for the blessings that he's experiencing where he's at. But he's asking God that he might restore that land, that he might forgive the sin of those people that he might help them to walk uh, in his way. And so here, Daniel's in a dilemma, and the dilemma is, is the same on both things. His problem, right, is prayer, right, because that's what he's doing every day because that's his practice. And so Daniel knew, Scripture says in verse 10, that the document was signed. So it, it wasn't like they pulled a fast one on him and he didn't hear about it. And all of a sudden he just gets up the next morning and he prays and gets in trouble. No, Daniel knew everything about it. The scripture says in verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house now in his roof chamber and he had his windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks to his God as he had been doing previously. See, Daniel heard the decree, and it would have been real easy. It would have been really, really easy for Daniel to say, you know what? I mean, I've been doing this thing for a long time. 
And the Lord understands, like, I'm in a little bit of a mess, and I'm about to get a promotion. I'm about to be in charge. And, and like, if I'm in charge, because sometimes we think, you know what, if there's some kind of tangible benefit to compromise, we're tempted. Satan whispers and says, oh, just a little bit won't matter. Like, if you, if you cheat on your taxes or you decide to, to, to lie a little bit at work or you decide to do a little bit there, it really won't matter, right, because there's going to be benefit. There's going to be things there. And so it would have been real easy for Daniel to say, hey, I'm about to get this promotion, and if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, like, what good am I going to be uh, to Babylon? I'm supposed to seek the welfare of the city, right? We twist all those things in. And, and, and he, it would have been easy for him to say that. Or he could have just said, you know what, instead of praying publicly, in that time, like with my windows open and all that, I mean, I know like what he was saying when, when he talked about facing towards Jerusalem. I know all that. But God created all this. He can hear me from wherever, I mean, I'm at. So I'll just kind of back off and I'll find a little secret place and I'll just do this thing, right? I'll just pray at night. I'll pray in private. But what we see Daniel do is he stands on his faith and he just kept doing what he's been doing. Three times a day, Daniel lived with his windows open, right? And with his windows open, he lived a prayer-filled life, right? So, so Daniel's in this place, and he says, listen, the world can see. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Like, for some reason, like so many times, people can, can get in this, this, this thought, right, that, they're, that there's something that we should be ashamed of for praying in public or that, or that we're worshiping God. And it's like this private portion of life where people say, you know what, I'm going to compartmentalize this, that it has no place anywhere else. Listen, there is no sacred and secular for the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. And they knew, right, that the satraps, the, the people in the kingdom, they knew exactly where they would find him. They knew exactly where they would find him. Do people know where they would find us? They look at our life and say, you know what? The way that they're living, they're seeking the Lord, they're living above reproach. And the only way that we could, could get at them is if there was something that stood between them and their God. Right? This was being done all along. Can I remind you, this was something the Scripture says that he was doing previously. And later in this chapter, when Daniel's being cast into the lion's den, King Darius says, the God that you serve continually. There's multiple times where he's saying, the God that you serve Continually, What you see in these people is that they're, Daniel, his Saturday night, it was just like his Sunday morning, right? His locker room, it was just like his Sunday school class, right? There was, there was no difference in those moments because he said, I'm not compromising my faith. And they knew exactly where he stood. You know, when we first got cell phones, I, I'm to tell a little bit of my age, the first cell phone that I had was when I was in college and it was pretty awesome. It was a bag phone, and it was, I mean, I, was, I thought I was, like, really cool because I had it, and, and, and it was this giant phone. It kind of looked like a regular phone without the little rotary dial thing we used to use. We used to have, like, a party line. I'd pick up on one line, and my grandma would be there. You could hear her on the other line. She'd be talking, and I'd be like, Grandma, I need to use the phone. She's like, oh, no problem, and then she'd hang up, and then you'd dial the number, and you could hear her breathing on the other end, you know. <laughs> Better have no private prayer, right? That was just how it worked. But we got these new phones, these bag phones. They were so awesome. And so it, when we got these bag phones, you only got 100 minutes or maybe even less than that, and it cost a ridiculous amount. But there was this, this truth in there that said, hey, and, and what they sold them for was if you've got one of these bag phones that if you get in a mess, like you've got everything you need. If there's an emergency, you just pick it up, and you can like from wherever. No more finding a pay phone, walking to a pay phone. You just dial from that little bag phone, plugged in your cigarette lighter. And like the really popular people, they had 
a little battery pack that they plugged it into and they carried it into class like on their side. I always thought they were the drug dealers. I was like, man, I don't that guy need his phone for right nobody thought we'd use a phone for everything we use it for now and now we have these phones and they give us access to so many things like we can google i can say hey siri she kind of let me down right there but i was thinking she would answer and and they can do all kind of things right we can we can use it for so much and now we text right when text first came out i thought ain't nobody in the world gonna text when you can pick up the phone and call Maybe I was wrong about some of those things, right? But here's the thing. We have this device, and to think that we might only use this in an emergency when we have all the tools and things that we can do. And and prayer, somehow in the life of, of most believers, I would be willing to stretch, is that it's something that somehow in the busyness of life, we sit it off to the side until there's emergencies, until there's something going on. And then we say, oh, you know what? I'm, I really need the Lord right now. And it's my hope that this morning as we look into the Word of God that, that we might, everyone, be encouraged to have disciplined prayer lives, disciplined lives before the Lord. And, and I'm convinced that it is in those disciplined prayer lives that believers are produced that will not bow to the pressures of Babylon. If we are going to stand in the midst of a broken world and in a culture that is so crazy, right? It will be out of an overflow of time with the Father. It'll be out of an overflow of relationship with the Lord that we will live our lives in that way. And when we find people that are spending time with God, that are living lives of dependence on God, we'll find people that will stand. Because here's what, what Daniel did, right? With his windows open, he lived a determined life. This wasn't the first time he thought about it. If you look at those Hebrew children in Daniel chapter 3, they said, hey, listen, oh, king, he says, listen, you're going to either bow down or you're going to be thrown in the furnace. And they said, oh, king, we don't have to be careful to give you an answer in all this. We don't even have to think about it. We don't even, we don't even have to think for a minute. Right at the very beginning of Daniel, we read that Daniel had purposed in his heart, right, ahead of time. He'd already decided that he would not defile himself with the king's diet. And God had been faithful in every moment. And nothing is changing in Daniel's life, right? He lived a determined life, uncompromised. Because here's the truth. Persecution is promised. You will face it if you are willing to stand for Jesus in the midst of this world. And, And it may be minor in the place that we live compared to many places around the world. But we will face persecution. We see that, right? Persecution is promised. And in the the story of Daniel and the lion's den, what we see is that deliverance is possible, right? That God sometimes uh, allows us to be delivered from those situations. And in this story, we know the end of the story. Daniel is delivered. It's this beautiful, awesome moment, right? This week, if you watch the news, there was a high school football coach from the state of Washington that made headlines all over the week. He was a public high school coach, and he decided uh, that he was going to pray at the end of each game. That was his his plan. He said, I'm going to pray. And and in the midst of that, uh, he began to to pray in a place that he could be seen. And before long, others are asking him to to join in that prayer. Uh, Some of you might remember uh, here on our football field when the cheerleaders made the big sign that said Philippians 4.13 and there was all that kind of controversy and all the things that were going on saying, hey, you can't have a Bible verse. You can't do this. You can't do that. It was that kind of moment. And and at the conclusion of the game, uh, he's praying and other people begin 
begin to join him. Some of the students begin to join him. Uh, some of them might be uh, just fans that were at the game, but they began to join him in this prayer time. And, and all of a sudden, somehow, I mean, it went on for years. And then all of a sudden, I believe it originated maybe with another coach, but somehow complaints began to arise. Somehow there began to be people that were stirred up about that. And these complaints went to the school board and said, hey, this is wrongful activity on the, the, the place of this uh, Christian football coach. And so uh, the school district eventually uh, just said, hey, you know what? You've got to make a choice, coach. You're either going to have to give up football or you're going to have to give up praying in public. And they said, listen, we'll, we'll make an accommodation for you along the way. We'll try to make this thing easy on you. And so after the game, we'll set aside a room inside where you can find and get away from everybody. And you go ahead and do, you know, your prayer thing. So as long as no one can see it. And, and they did this in this way that somehow declares that praying in public is some kind of shameful activity. And I want you to understand when you think about what uh, some of the platforms and, and things that are being promoted by public school system and then to say, you know what, if you can't, a, a person praying in public, that's some kind of shameful activity. And what we see in the midst of this, and this Monday, uh, this federal court challenge kind of went all the way to the Supreme Court and they ruled by a 6-3 majority that this coach had the right to his own private prayer activity and that there was nothing that anyone uh, could say against that, right? And they made this, this clear, right, that they had violated his exercise of religion and the free speech rights of this coach. And so there's a, a rare moment, right, where we see something like that happen and it goes all the way to the Supreme Court and we thank God that we live in a place where we have the freedom uh, to pray, where we have the freedom to live out loud with our windows open following Jesus Christ. And if those freedoms are removed, if those things are changed, one day, then we are people like Peter and the apostles in Acts chapter 5 that says we must obey God rather than men and that we're going to live in the land that we live in and we're going to seek the welfare of the city and we're going to be citizens of the kingdom of God with our utmost allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, but we're going to live in this place that the Lord has planted and we're going to be winsomely loving. We're going to be different than what the rest of the world is and we, we're going to live in a way that glorifies God. We're going to live with our windows open so that people can look in and say, you know what? I know for sure that those folks are following Jesus Christ. You're going to find them on Sunday morning in the church house. You're going to find them at worshiping God. You're going to find them when they gather for a meal, wherever that might be, that they're going to bow their heads and they're going to thank the God of heaven, that they're going to walk in the midst of this world and they're not going to be ashamed. It doesn't matter whether they're in the school cafeteria or their own home. They're going to worship God wherever they are and the world world is going to look and they're going to see that the God that they serve continually is worth worship, that we believe what we say, and that we're going to declare to this world that you can like it, lump it, bump it, or jump it. I really don't care. I love Jesus, and I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? But we're going to do that. Listen, we, we, we can give the Lord a hand. But we've bowed down for way too long to the wrong things and have refused to bow down to the right things because of some kind of pressure uh, from things that are around that have no control over anything of our lives. And it's time that God's people begin to worship him, begin to live with their windows open. We need some moms and dads that will live in their homes with their windows open. People that will say like Joshua in Joshua 24, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And you're not going to have to wonder 
wonder whose side we're on. You're not going to have to wonder what things are going on. And you're not going to have to wonder if I love you because I'm going to be investing in your life. I'm going to be living the truths of the gospel because this is who God's called us to be. And there's great impact around us, right? We see this coach stand, and there's great impact around us. We see Daniel stand, and there's great impact around us. But I want you to hear something this morning. There's no promise of deliverance. God is glorified by our obedience, not simply our deliverance, right? If the end of the story is different, God is still glorified through our obedience. It's not our reward. It's not our rescue. Those are not the things that we are longing for. It is our surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. It is that that testifies to this broken world who our God is. And if we believe the truths of this book, that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, that those people that are in your class and the people that God has placed around you at work and the people that you're going to run into today as you go into a restaurant, that the very people that are all around us, that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ are lost and eternally separated from God, bound for a place called hell, and that you've been given the good news of Jesus Christ. You've been given the good news of the gospel, and you've been commanded teachers and students and business professionals and and everything. You just fill in the blank with whoever you are and wherever you are that you've been given the call. And and the scripture has said, hey, listen, you don't have to worry if you're going to have strength when it comes to that place. If you'll just get in the rhythms of the things that I've been telling you to do all along, that you might rise up early and you might get alone with the Father and that you might live your life out of an overflow of what God is doing in your life, that you won't have to worry about being afraid because the scripture says that if you have the Spirit of God, in Acts 1-8, he says that, listen, you, and he said, when the Spirit of God has come upon you, you'll be my witnesses. You'll be testifying of me. You'll, you'll be my witnesses in Judea and, and Samaria and Jerusalem, right? all these places into the uttermost parts of the world. You And I have been called to go and proclaim the very good news. And it is the greatest news ever that our sins can be forgiven, that we can have a relationship with the God of heaven. And once we do, that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, those who were far off have now been brought near. And that we have access to the very throne room of heaven, that we can approach and beseech the Lord on our behalf, and that we can call out to him in prayer. And that every part of our life, from the morning to the evening, evening, right? The scripture says pray without ceasing. But I want to challenge you that there needs to be some times where you say, you know what? At this time, I'm going to get up in the morning and whether I feel like it or don't and whether I've got time for it or not, I'm going to get along with Jesus and I'm going to call on his name and I'm going to express something in my life that Lord, apart from you, right? That's what Jesus said. He said, listen, he said, abide in me. This is how he said, this is the whole secret to the Christian life. He summed it up in just a minute. He said, abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit he said if you want to have a fruitful life as a follower of Jesus Christ then just get in fellowship with him get in his word pray his word live his word and he's going to do something on the inside and it's going to make a difference on the outside and it's going to be seen in the fruits of the spirit Galatians 5 says hey there's a bunch of mess that'll happen out of you if you're trying to live in the flesh and it lists a laundry list of sin and then it says but the fruit of the spirit is love joy 
peace, patience, goodness, gentleness. Against such there is no uh, law. Right? We see that there is this beautiful thing that will happen as we abide in Christ. As the life of Jesus is pressed out through the branches. That we will live for him. That we will stand for him. And that this world won't be wondering whose side we're on. Because they'll see joy. They'll see love. They'll see peace. And here's what they see. They see Jesus. See, that's what we're called to do, to be dependent on him, to live in an overflow of that. Some of you are saying, how in the world am I going to stand? You can't on your own. And if you're trying to do it in your own strength, you are doomed for failure every single time. But if you'll deny yourself and you'll say, you know what? You remember Mary and Martha? It was this beautiful picture, right? Martha's like working. She's trying to do all the things around the house. She's getting everything just right because Jesus is there, right? There's that moment. But then Mary, she's got a different kind of approach. She's at the feet of Jesus. And Martha's like, man, I'm busy about a lot of things. I got a lot of stuff going on. Martha said, hey, if, if I have time, if I get time, I'll sit at Jesus' feet. And Mary said, if I ain't got time for nothing else, here's where you're going to find me. And could we be a people that would say, you know what, if I don't have time for nothing else, I'm going to get in the presence of God. We need some moms and dads that will say, you know what, I'm going to get in the presence of God. And I'm going to live my life in such a way that what God feeds me in the morning, I'm going to feed my family in the evening. That I'm going to live my life in such a way that says, I'm going to live with open windows so the world might see. And there should be something beautiful and something different about every one of our lives. Because Jesus has made the difference.